When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today on Barca Talk. FC Barcelona are preparing for the future of football. We'll talk about how they're doing it. The Barca Soccer Camp's fundraiser has officially launched, and if you haven't done a good deed in a little while, now's a great chance to do one. FC Barcelona Femini are behind in the Copa de la Reina semifinal after the first leg against Atletico Madrid, and the FCB first team had an exciting double Clasico week with good results in both games and an unlikely goal scorer in Ivan Rakitic. First up, a little bit of news. Barcelona midfielder Sergi Samper will be signing with Japanese club Vissel Kobe, joining Andres Iniesta and David Villa. Samper was a strong prospect, but a series of underwhelming loans in the Spanish league and injuries have taken a toll on his development into the first team at FC Barcelona. This year, Samper has played only 33 minutes in the Copa del Rey against Cultural Leonesa. His injuries ruled him out of 22 games this season so far. The details of the deal with Vissel Kobe have not been released, but Sport has reported from an unnamed source close to the talks that he will sign a four-year deal. Barcelona have renewed Jordi Alba's contract, keeping him on until 2024. His current contract was set to end in 2020. The club confirmed on Thursday that the extension deal had been reached. Alba's release clause has now risen from 150 million euro to 500 million euro. He'll be 35 when his new contract runs out. Former president of FC Barcelona, Sandro Rossell, will be released from prison after 643 days behind bars for fear of being a flight risk in connection with a trial and investigation into money laundering and criminal organization on Rossell's part. He will be released on Wednesday with limited freedom. The court will take his passport and require him to remain on Spanish soil. He has also been ordered to appear in court again on March 28th. Real Madrid defender Sergio Ramos has received a two-game ban in the Champions League. UEFA's control, ethics, and disciplinary body announced the decision last Thursday. Ramos is receiving the ban for clearly receiving a yellow card on purpose. The two-game suspension includes the automatic one-match suspension for repeated yellow cards. UEFA has also opened an investigation in response to a complaint from Tottenham Hotspur over abuse of Tottenham supporters at the Camp Nou during the December 11th group stage match in Champions League. Videos taken by Tottenham fans show security guards beating back fans with batons. The complaint and investigation will be under the charge of insufficient organization. UEFA will deal with the case at its next meeting on March 28th. And finally, La Liga games will no longer take place on Mondays, according to the RFEF president, Luis Rubiales. The change comes after protests by fans of smaller clubs whose schedules have had them play on Monday for live TV coverage.
All right, this is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York. Joining me as always from Madrid, Spain, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. We are the champions, almost. We're almost the champions, but it certainly (laughs) feels like it after this week, right? Two Classicos, two wins. What more could you ask for? I mean, it's the best results we could ask for, right? I mean, especially, I know we're going to get into further, but I mean, again, the best part about the classicals, Brian, living in Madrid is when we win and seeing the news and the sports shows and the media, the way they turn it around and stuff, it's, it's fantastic because I just get so much pride from that because as we talked about all season, this was going to be a tough month. And so far, we've been able to steer the ship clear, it seems. And these two victories are just been amazing. Yeah, really amazing, especially again, we'll we'll get into more detail. But that Wednesday game was uh, the second half was such a surprise when we scored the three goals. We kept Real Madrid scoreless because especially in the first half, they were uh, really looking a good bit better than us. But we will get into more detail on that later. But today we do want to have uh, this discussion segment. The Financial Times published an article on Friday by Simon Cooper called How FC Barcelona Are Preparing for the Future of Football. And before we talk about it, I just want to let uh, everyone listening know that if you want to read this article, and it's a really good article, uh, without getting a subscription to the Financial Times, it is available in full at the Irish Times for, for free. So that's just something that I want you all to know. So some things that I learned from this article, I mean, there was a lot of information in this article about essentially the Barcelona Innovation Hub. And if you go on FC Barcelona's website regularly, you always see little press releases and things about this. But they aren't um, they they aren't very public about what they do. So I've known about them, but I have never really paid much attention to what they do or what their uh, missions and goals are and that sort of thing. And so the things that I learned from this article that I thought were, well, that educated me about things I was interested in concerning the club. First up was it gives you some insight into Valverde's attitude towards his job. I totally agree. Yeah. And what stood out for you? What stood out for you in that article about that? Well, I'll- mainly it's this quote from him uh-huh. where he says, this is a continuous sport in which the coach has barely any influence so football belongs to the players. And I just thought that explains it. He's he's one of those coaches, and many coaches feel this. He's not out of the ordinary in yeah. this. But he's one of those coaches, managers, who believes that the manager really can't influence a game very much. But it almost seems like he takes that onto the training ground as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I sent you this article because I found it on Twitter, and I just thought it was fascinating because I always love reading about – technology and you know how barca is trying to integrate quote unquote the silicon valley of sports right into this culture right and i think that's really cool because obviously they have the resource to do this so obviously everything is cutting edge but for me about the valverde thing was how he decorated his office i don't know if you remember how it was described he just has basically one piece of paper on a wall right it's just the schedule for the week Yeah, he knows he knows that uh, managers at FC Barcelona are just passers by. Exactly. So, again, that kind of, you know, reading about him in this gave me more insight about his personality. Right. And that just kind of explains more about maybe it gives me even more frustration with him, you know, because now I know completely how he is and how he is as a manager. But, you know, that was the first thing that you that that quote that he said. But again, the other thing, too, you know, for me was just this 
amount of money that they're investing in all of this. And it's not just for the football team. It's for all the teams that are under the FC Barcelona, our FC Barcelona umbrella. And on top of that, just how they're managing. Now, I was kind of laughing because when they were talking about the video, remember, I was like, we're watching the game, right? <laughs> and we can completely see, you know, that Dembele should be on the right and this type of thing. And in the article, they break down the video analytics and how they do it in practice and stuff. And I just was like having a little chuckle because I just thought that, you know, they're really not analyzing that much, it seems. But it, it is crazy to see um, how much money that they're investing because, again, FC Barcelona is so rich, right? They can do this. And they've been talking to um, the Golden State Warriors and the San Francisco Giants, which are both obviously based in San Francisco. So they're right and there. And the 49ers. And the 49ers. And so they have that kind of link to that as well. So again, they're always trying to look for that edge, right? And also trying to uh, make sure that their players are healthy and able to perform at the highest level. And not only that, but they're looking for opportunities to share that knowledge and monetize the sharing of that knowledge through uh, developing products, licensing them, and then selling a lot of that information, uh, including once they're done building the uh, Espy Barca, they'll be able to essentially track everyone's movements through the space and then renovate it accordingly to try and maximize the amount of time people spend there, the amount of money people spend there, and then sell that information to cities, other organizations for all kinds of real estate development or um, I guess you'd call it sort of like civic development projects. Mm -hmm. And so there is the potential for revenue streams to come from that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's again, it's just their investment in this, obviously trying to monetize it just to reinvigorate more money into the club, right? So that's what they're ultimately looking. Obviously, just through this article, it's just kind of, um, you can see the differences between, for example, FC Barcelona and poor Huesca, for example, right? right? Huesca, unfortunately, doesn't have the money that they're going to have this kind of hub. Obviously, we have these really important high-priced players, so obviously we want to keep track of them, you know, make sure that they're being utilized and not exhausted, these type of things with the hub that they're they're looking at. But again, I I love this stuff because I, I study this at university. I love uh, reading about analytics and this is how it is. You know, now it's, it, it's you know, before when you used to do talent um, evaluations, it was basically based on feeling more than anything, right? And now with all this data that you have, statistics, you can make better decisions on talent projecting forward and this is just another step in that process right well there was also a section in the article about recruiting and uh, transfers and they did mention that whenever they're looking at a potential transfer they do look at the player's data but one thing that the data doesn't show is how the player is sort of psychologically and what their attitude is and if they would essentially fit in because there are social factors to consider when you're bringing in a new player and they sure they have to have good data they have to have strong numbers behind them to come to Barcelona. But there are always going to be those sort of intangible factors about how they would um, adapt and work into the locker room and the club and the culture and all that sort of stuff. But so it's it's part data and it's part still intangibles. And I think it'll kind of always be that way. But one thing that they're trying to work towards at the Innovation Hub is trying to essentially automate and computerize as much data crunching and things like this as possible so that the humans can then focus more on those intangible elements. 
Inten- intangible elements like hustle. Yes, hustle. I mean, they can <laughs> measure sprint speeds. And, yes, yes. Because yes. that was the other thing that really kind of blew my mind about this article was that apparently Barcelona have been using GPS to track the movement of their players both in training and in games for over a decade or about mm. a decade. And the thinking being, which makes perfect sense, is that even the best players only have the ball for about two minutes in a game, roughly. So what are they doing the other 88 minutes of a game? that lead to success or failure, but mostly they're looking at successes and, and what works. So they have these GPS trackers to track sprint speeds, recovery times, movement, rather than just the, uh, you know, the kinds of stats that we share on our infographics or that you see on TV, which is just event data, right? Number of passes, pass accuracy, goals, assists, all that sort of stuff, right? That's event data. And what they're trying to look at now is what happens off the ball. Using GPS. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the thing is they've been doing this with Nike because they've been partnered up with Nike for such a long time. Nike's had a vested interest. They're always kind of looking for an edge as well. They've used FC Barcelona for testing grounds for their shoes, but also the players in training, they wear these kind of mini vests that have the tracking inside of them. Before it was more evasive where they had the actual heart rate monitor, but now this vest has everything inclusive, right? And so not only is it the GPS tracker, but it tracks their pulse and everything. And so they're able to get all that information and just, you know, see how many calories were burned. Oh, you need to refill on this. And so now not only is the training more efficient, but also more importantly, the recovery, which is also just as important. So again, it's just like this whole world of new data, um, new analytics for football. And again, Barcelona's on the cutting edge of that. So hopefully going forward, we're just going to have more success. Yeah. Now there are two other things that I want to mention from this article. One, this is just kind of a little thing and something that I think I sort of intuitively knew from watching games week after week, week in, week out, that Messi, apparent, according to Valverde, always takes the first minutes of each match for interpretation as he calls it and just taking a uh, kind of a reconnaissance walk around the opposition defense fixing each man's position in his head and then working his way into the game i mean of course he does right (laughs) right Right. yeah (laughs) we we've we've seen it we may not know that we've seen it but we've seen him doing it and of course it makes perfect sense that he would do that again i I just think he's out there on the field just seeing colors (laughs) i swear to god because for example last night's match the way he was passing you know with his head down i just think he, he just obviously visualizes the game in such a different manner and that is interesting that he kind of just takes that first minute to kind of interpret what's going on and how they're going to you know defend him essentially and then he can kind of counteract that you know again with football brian everything is just on the fly right you don't have these timeouts like in basketball where you can make adjustments so everything has to be done and just like valverde said in in a press conference i think a couple nights ago where he was just saying i'm out there yelling okay but maybe they're only being i'm only being heard five percent of the match right i'm just trying to uh put my voice and tell them to move but obviously the players have to do all the movement but again messi is just a savant man he's i i imagine he just sees the colors and he's just like okay they're in a oh, okay they're in a four four two. perfect i'm going in this mode and then he just adjusts right and i i definitely yeah it's uh we could do a whole hour just talking about how might Lionel messi's brain work it's really interesting and fun and exciting to think about, honestly. But yeah, I think you're right. He probably he sees colors and patterns and he immediately interprets them. And that's what Valverde was also talking about. Uh, he was saying that he really trusts in great players being able to interpret in the moment 
which is what you have to do. You have to play. You don't have time to sit back and analyze once you're playing. So that's why during a game, he he doesn't believe that he has much influence. And I think he's honestly right about that. But you you want to work on training you know, during the week. That's where the manager has some influence over what happens. But in any case, he's talking about how a great player will interpret the game and the play as needed. And the really good ones will find solutions, interpret it correctly. And of course, Messi is probably one of the well he's certainly one of the best he might he might be the best ever there's no way to really measure that so it's <laughs> kind of qualitative but yeah he's certainly one of the best yeah but as valverde said that the players have to adjust and i think one of the underrated uh values that we have on our team is that our team is so cerebral right they're so intelligent on the field i mean if you look at our starting 11 for the most part football smarts they're on a high you know, football IQ scale. So that kind of gives us another advantage. I mean, think about like, for example, last night, our positioning, the way we were able to defend and adjust finally to Vinicius, right? Those type of things on the fly. Now, if you take other teams, for example, maybe physically, they might be stronger and faster than us, but maybe on the field, they're just not as quick to adapt. So I think that is another distinct advantage that overall in the last, let's say 30 years of Barca, we've had that kind of advantage. Right. Absolutely. Now, uh, speaking of the last 30 years or so, uh, another thing that came out of this article that I found interesting was that, you know, the Innovation Hub has a staff of 16. These are all analysts who are they're compiling and analyzing all kinds of data, and they're trying to do their best to help Barcelona win games. But none of them really, at this point, think that they're really helping them win any games. But that's fine. Rather, like they aren't so much helping the players at this point. Uh, they do what they can as much as they are currently learning what's important to analyze from studying those intelligent players. And one thing that got me to watch uh, Saturday's game very differently than I've watched, I think, any other game is a current theory they have that the most intelligent players are the ones who almost always face the right way on the field and that actually even goes back to Johan Cruyff who was obsessed with players who were turned the right way and when you look at Iniesta, Xavi, uh, Busquets historically uh, you know or even now Arthur honestly and of course Messi you look at the the way they're facing when they're about to receive the ball and then how they move after that it it really does make a huge difference. And that's one of those things that I think I've always, not always, but since I've started watching that I've gotten attuned to, but I, I never, strangely, I never quite knew how to articulate it. And now I have the words for it. It's, it's just about how they're turned. And I didn't actually know prior to this reading this article that that was such a big part of Cruyff's uh, philosophy. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, the, the thing is, Brian, like it's so underrated what our players do before they receive the ball, right? You always see them checking on a swivel to see where the defender is. And just from learning that from La Masia, that tactic, or not the tactic, but that ability, that trait is huge because you're able to 
do step two steps ahead, right? And it just you can see the difference, right? And that's the thing. You're turning right because you know the defender's on your right side, you're gonna go left. I mean, it's a really simple thing, but a lot of players don't do that, right? That's where you distinguish the the world-class players from just the average players, right? Uh, you know, I always like to say that that was something I tried to do. Obviously, you, when you get tired, it's one of those things where you stop doing, right? Because it's just something that you're always kind of your head's on a swivel. But again, it's a good it's a good thing that you pointed out. Again, obviously, everything started with Cruyff with this with this idea of turning and receiving the ball. Not only when you receive the ball, but also in a dangerous position. I mean, if you look at, for example, just as a microcosm, last night's game, the midfield of Real Madrid, who is the player there that kind of scares you the most? I would say Modric, right? Modric, sure. when he touches, he has a good touch and he's going. But Casemiro? No. No, he's super heavy. Ham, right? <laughs> Ham-footing, right? Super ham, <laughs> yeah. right? Right? But again, that those are the differences because a lot of times last night where Casemiro had to make a good first touch, he was unable to. And Barcelona was able to take advantage of that turnover. Again, in the midfield, that's where it's won or lost, right? And especially with having Artur, and you can see with him, like the way he's always looking and swiveling and coming back to the ball. It's a very underrated trait. And again, if they're going to measure that and get more players in the future to resemble that trait, that's that's going to lead to longer sustained success for Barca. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'll i bring this up, I think, later on when we're talking about the actual matches. But I do think that there is a clear distinction you can make between... Semedo and Sergio Roberto in that right back position. And I do think that on average, this particular trait, Sergio Roberto has better than Semedo. I think you could still make, you know, have a fun, you know, pub argument about which one is doing better at right back at this point. Cause I think Semedo has gotten a lot better recently, but I, in that particular area, I do think because he went to La Masia, I mean, the fact that he got into La Masia in the first place, Sergio Roberto has a little bit of an edge on Semedo in that particular area, but maybe we can talk about that later or not at all. Who cares? Anyway, I want to, uh, I want to shift. <laughs> I want to shift because this past weekend at the Classico, this marked the official launch in coordination with the Houston Kool-Aids of the Barca soccer camps fundraiser. Last year, we raised enough to send two boys to the FCB camp in Houston. And this year, we're looking to raise enough to send three kids, boys or girls, doesn't matter, to that camp again. So to donate, go to BarcaTalk.net. There's a link to the GoFundMe campaign there. And now for the Barca Talk Guard of Honor. This week, we're giving the Paseo to Dan in Cardiff-by-the-Sea, California. Uh, actually, not far from where I was born, in Oceanside, California. Dan started supporting the show last November through Patreon at the Barca B level, $3 a month. That's all it takes to help us keep the show going with plans to keep making it better over time. So thank you, Dan, for helping out. You get the Guard of Honor this week. Now, Gabriel, imagine. Imagine if we'd had a reporter in the room for the press conference when Andres Iniesta announced his retirement. A Barca Talk reporter. Imagine that. Imagine the audio experience we could have put on this podcast if we'd had one of our own people in that room. How does that sound to you? That sounds amazing because I probably would have teared up listening to the our own audio clip of the Iniesta retirement. Right. So that's where I want this show to go. Not just big moments like that, the smaller moments too, but that level of, of access. And not just the, uh, the first team, but more Barca B and Femini coverage on the ground. So my own 
just letting you know, my own private goal, which is not so private now, is to have a Barca Talk reporter in the room by the time the next big moment like that comes around. So now I'm talking to the listeners. How do we get there? Well, we do have a number of ways of working toward that, but one of them is with your support on Patreon. So just $3 a month will get you a private feed for the show that you can set up in most podcast apps, and the episodes in that feed are free of the uh, very few commercials that we do have. You'll also get our Thursday bonus episode in the feed at the $6 a month level or higher, and also just on our Patreon page, we post additional bonus content, and each tier of support comes with some kind of Barca Talk merchandise. You know, we have the stickers, the magnets, the beverage cozies, the mugs. So we have a link to Patreon in the show notes. But if that link isn't working, just go to barsatalk.net, click on support the show, and go to Patreon and consider giving a monthly contribution to help us take this podcast to a whole new level of Barcelona reporting. Barcelona Femini are in the midst of a rocky period of form in both the Liga Iberdrola and the Copa de la Reina. The cup tournament has undergone some changes in format, too. Here with more is Michelle Taylor. Following the Liga loss to Sporting Huelva, the next game for Barca Femini was the Copa de la Reina semi-final against Atleti Madrid. This year has seen a change of format for the Copa de la Reina competition. Instead of being a separate event tacked on to the end of the season and played between the top eight finishers in La Liga, all 16 teams have taken part in one-game knockout rounds this season. The change came about mainly to give players involved in the Women's World Cup more time to rest at the end of the season before joining their national teams to prepare for the competition being held in France over the summer. The new Copa de la Reina format has its merits, but given the short space of time in which to reorganise the competition, some of the planned changes couldn't be implemented. Originally, it was announced that the two semi-finals and the final would be played in neutral stadiums. However, this didn't happen for the semi-finals this year. The luck of the draw gave Atleti the home advantage, so off to Madrid went Barca Femini to play not only the Atleti team, but to also contend with the sold-out venue. 4,000 Atleti fans who chanted, sang and heckled the Barca players at every opportunity. But don't mind me, I'm envious and simultaneously awestruck and happy at the amount of support that other women's teams in La Liga get from their fan bases. If Barca Femini could get half the amount of support from the Blaugrana fan base that other teams receive, teams such as Atleti, Athletic Club and Real Sociedad, wow, what an atmosphere we could have in Barcelona. If Barca Femini had been the home team for this Copa de la Reina semi, I guarantee that there would have been more Atleti fans at the stadium in Barcelona than there would have been Barca fans. It's a sad indictment of our local fan base, and blame must also go to the club, whose wishy-washy approach to marketing and social media fails to rally the fans and create loyalty to all the club's teams, as we see with other clubs. Bilbao is the shining example of all that's good. Their fans create no distinction between their club's teams. If you play for Athletic Club, you are supported. End of story. Back to the Copa del Arena semi-final. We lost 2-0, Brazilian Ludmila da Silva scoring a goal each side of half-time. Looking at the match statistics, it was a very even match. Barca had 53% of the possession and 6 shots on goal, to Atleti's 47% position and 5 shots on goal. But of Atleti's 5 shots, 2 went into the net. Stats don't lie, but they also don't tell the story of the game. 
Atleti was far more efficient and menacing with the ball. Atleti exudes confidence. The players come out onto the pitch looking as if they've each downed ten Red Bulls and now they want to fight. This attitude comes from their coaching team and is imbued into the players. In contrast, the Barca players look too calm and collected. The coaching bench is doing little to change this, in my opinion, and that perceived passiveness and a lack of psychological edge is costing us games and results. Back to the Liga and Barca played an away game versus Real Betis on February the 24th. The breakthrough in the 37th minute came from yet another set-piece, a corner sent in by Aitana, which Mata Torajon headed across the goal for Alexia to score. Two minutes into the second half, Enlika Martins profited from some lax Betis defence to strip the ball from a player and dribble to the edge of the box before unleashing her right foot and scoring into the top right corner. The third and final goal came in the 18th minute after some great work by Mel Serrano, who dribbled along the left goal line, dummied a shot and then passed in for Marione to score. A comfortable win in the end, but the team was still missing its sparkle. International break is now in full swing for the women, and 16 Barca players are away with their national teams. Tony Dugan and Andresa Alves are in America playing in the She Believes Cup with England and Brazil. Azizata Shwala is with Nigeria playing in the Cyprus Cup. In Cyprus, funnily enough, Candela Anduja and Claudia Pina are with the Spanish Under-19, playing a mini-tournament in La Manga against England, Switzerland and Holland. Lika Martins and Stephanie van der Graaf are with the Netherlands at the Algarve Cup in Portugal. Reports say that Stephanie is injured again. Also at the Algarve Cup and with Spain are nine players. The first league game after the international break will be on Tuesday, March the 12th, a home game against Real Sociedad. Five days later and it's back to Madrid to play Atleti, this time at the Wanda Metropolitano. And as if 4,000 braying for Atleti fans wasn't enough during the Copa Arena semi-final, over 20,000 tickets have been sold so far for the Liga match between the two teams. Three days after the game against Atleti, Barca will be in Norway for the first league of the Champions League quarter-final games against LSK Kavina. Three huge games for Barca over an eight-day span. A big test of the team's resolve and their fighting spirit. Visca Barca e Fossa Barca Femini. That was Michelle Taylor. Follow the Twitter handle at Barca Women for ongoing updates on the women's team. Now turning to the first team and the first of two Clásicos in one week, Barcelona faced Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu last Wednesday in the second semifinal leg of the Copa del Rey. The two were tied 1-1 to from the first leg, but that away goal gave Real Madrid the advantage. To our delight, though, Barca shut out Los Blancos, got three goals to go to the final on a 4-1 aggregate score. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of the semifinal, Valencia knocked out Real Betis. But uh, let's talk about some of the details of this Clásico match. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were talking a little bit before leading up to this, and I kind of told you I was a bit nervous. I was also talking to some Madrid fans as well. I was a bit nervous just because I didn't know how we were going to perform in this match. And this was kind of the, you know, it's obviously an important match because if we advance, we knock out Madrid in the Copa del Rey final. You know, looking at the lineup, I was happy with the lineup. No major changes. I mean, I was glad to not see Vidal in there. So yes, I think you that were. For me, that was that was a good good thing. And also seeing your boy Sergio Roberto to give him a chance at midfield, right? Because, like we just talked about in the previous segment, his ability to pass and go, you know, have that ability to turn the right way, right? And so I thought that was going to be good. But again. Man, we have so many talking points. I mean, I guess the first thing for me was is just the clinical finishing we had tonight or that night uh, in the Bernabeu. Just, 
you know, Madrid was the better team that night on, you know, when you're looking at as a objective observer and, but we had basically three shots on goal and two goals. So, yeah. I mean, you cannot, you cannot beat that with a stick. Right. And, and Madrid had what, maybe 25 opportunities and nothing on, on goal really. So uh, really good defending uh, for the most part. And lucky for us, their front three is just not as clinical as ours. Right. I mean, that was the main thing because they really, they really outplayed us on especially in the first half i think we looked we got a little bit better in the second half but uh, vinicius honestly was tearing us apart in that first half luckily uh he's not a good finisher (laughs) yeah luckily you know it's interesting in that in in this lineup you know in the beginning of the first half you know obviously valverde was conscious about stopping Vinicius, right? So he kind of had Sergio Roberto and Semedo kind of double teaming Vinicius. But since we didn't have that balance on the right side, um, Reguillon could overlap. And that's what ultimately killed us in that first half. And that really opened up for Vinicius to have that ability to go 1v1. But again, Brian, they had the same uh, blueprint that they've been doing. It's Vinicius on the left and across to the center. Vinicius on the left and another across to the center. So they had no variety to their attack. So once we kind of nailed that shut in the first half, it was a completely sec- different second half. Right, exactly. And uh, by the way, uh, Real Madrid in that match uh, took 14 shots to Barcelona's four. They had four on target to Barcelona's two, and they still couldn't convert. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, we, we've been kind of harping on Luis Suarez's form recently, you know? And, you know, for these big games, he just comes out. So, again, he is the bull in the china shop, right? Especially in that in that first goal, it was really bad defending on Ramos. Ramos should have laid out a little bit better. But, again, he was able to finish it, and that gave us the lead. And really, from that point on, I really felt confident that we were going to win that match because – just the way how our defense was clicking, Ter Stegen obviously making the saves, but also the big adjustment in the second half, Brian, was Dembele on the right side. Yes, big time. And you mentioned it, but I, you have to give Ter Stegen his due in this match because, like I said, Real Madrid did have four shots on target, and I'd say three of those four were really threatening, and Ter Stegen was really stretched to make the saves that he did, and he did an amazing job to keep that sheet clean. Best goalkeeper in the world, right? Yeah. I mean, he is the not only is he getting more cred about his shot stopping ability, but also he's, you know, the top goalkeeper with his feet, right? I mean, that's I would take him as a top goalkeeper of like passing, accuracy, and so forth. But again, he saved us, he kept us in the game, and he gave us a clean sheet as well. So that was huge. But also just that one opportunity with Suarez that just gave the whole team that much more confidence going forward. Yeah. Now, speaking of Vinicius and Reguilon, I have to say this is the first time I've really watched Reguilon play. And if he weren't wearing a Real Madrid jersey, I would really like this kid. Yeah, he's a, he's a good he's a good player, you know, but he's still young. I mean, he's like 19 or something. Again, you can see why Solari went to him and not to Marcelo. You can see the speed that Reguilon has and his ability to read the defense. Now, as you can see, he was he was exposed from the second half on and then the second classico as well. So you can see he's still young, but you can see the potential that he has for Madrid. Again, I agree with you. He's a player that you like, you know, he hustles, he, he bombs that line. He's really good defending and he's got a little bit of an attitude as well. Right. And the both (laughs) of them uh, really managed to overwhelm Semedo again, particularly in the first half, but even in moments in the second half. So 
How do you think Semedo looked uh, against these two in this match? So it's funny. I, I think that Semedo looked as though he was on ice skates a bunch of times, right? He just kind of, he was getting switched around a lot, you know, and I think he was just really conscious of Vinicius, right? Now, I would say the playbook on defending Vinicius is that you know he's always going to cut back to the center. So push him to the corner, right? And I just think that, you know, Semedo just thought that Vinicius was faster than him, which I don't think that's the case. I think Semedo is faster if we were doing a 40-yard dash. But again, just Vinicius in space was that dangerous on that night. And also, he had the support. And also, we were spread out too much in the 4-3-3. Like, Busquets had to come and eventually help. And then when they would change the ball over, the Busquets had to run over again. And it was just, I mean, they were they were playing really well against us. You know, they were... They were really directing the play and they had a lot of the possession for the most part. And we were under attack, you know, thank God for Ter Stegen and of course, PK and Longlet um, with their clearing of the headers and so forth. But I mean, we were able to withstand that. And again, thank God they don't have CR Siete because I think that would have been a different uh, animal in itself. I mean, here in Spain, they're saying, Donde esta Siete? Right? Right. They're saying, where is he now? You know, because now... That front three of Madrid, you know, against maybe Athletic Bilbao or Ibar, they can score those goals because they have so many opportunities. But with the big dogs, they're just not clinical. Right. Well, one of our uh, pregame infographics that we posted on our social media uh, showed that Messi alone with with his 25 goals, and that's just in La Liga, is more than all of Real Madrid's top three goal scorers this season. Benzema has 11 goals, Bale has seven, and Sergio Ramos, a defender, is third place in Real Madrid scoring with six goals. Yeah. So, yeah, where are the goals? ¿Dónde está Sierra Siete? Yeah, exactly. And that's the big topic here in the media here is that, you know, they don't have teeth in that attack like they used to, obviously. Obviously, you're going to miss 50 goals. Right. You know, that's going to happen. But, again, for me, Gareth Bale just, you know, just not showing up when he's asked to. And also Benzema as well. You know, we, we joked around, remember how he was the best number nine at the beginning of the month and where has he been, you know? So he's still a dangerous player, but he is, he cannot, he cannot finish. I mean, thank God for us. He can't finish because he's always around the goal. Was he the one that scored the first goal in the first either in the first part of the Copa del Rey? He did. No, I think he did. Anyway, I think he did (laughs) score the first goal for Madrid. So I I could find out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I, I, Thinks I think that's correct. <laughs> yeah, right. It was like a scram play. Yeah, all these games are getting mixed up now. I'm like over. I was like, did Gareth play on the last night or the ones? No, he played in the last night, not the Wednesday night. So honestly, man, I have to I have to write everything down. Yeah, because I I have such a hard time keeping it all clear in my head, especially yeah. these classicos because we had two this past week and then we had the first leg not that long ago. Yeah, so they all kind of get jumbled up. In my head. Yeah. But uh, but Vasquez scored the goal. Oh, okay. Vasquez scored the goal. Okay. So I have an interesting thing for you. Do you think that since we were so underwhelming in the first half that Valverde finally put Dembele on the right and is going to use that as kind of the trump card in his back pocket when we need some instant attacking? I sure hope so. (laughs) I I surely hope so. Uh, it was a very unexpected change from Valverde. So I don't think that he made it by accident. When, uh, yesterday when we were watching the Liga Classico, uh, my buddy Connor, Connor came over and he was saying that, uh, yeah, Valverde should really uh, put 
uh, Coutinho in. And I said, yeah, but if he does, he's going to take Dembele out. And he looked at me and he said, really? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what he's going to do because that's his change. That's the change he likes to make. And that's exactly what he did. (laughs) Except in this match where he left Coutinho in, he took Vidal out, put Dembele in, and now we finally have the Your Fantasy formation. And I I think it worked to great effect. So I do hope that Valverde understands the potential that it has um, and maybe that he won't trot it out every week or anything but maybe reserve it for uh, some, maybe some champions league yeah that sort of thing it could really because it does have teeth it opens up spaces for Messi. it opens up spaces for coutinho for suarez for dembele everyone gets more space to work and we saw the result we scored three goals in one half in a match that we were not playing that well yeah exactly and the other thing too is it keeps Ragion at house like he couldn't overlap anymore because all of a sudden he's Dembele is you know faster than him and making those runs so he had to stay home right also by the way everything I just said actually pertained to the Sevilla match from last week not not Wednesday (laughs) (laughs) see it's all just jumbled up in my brain plus I'm studying for these intense examinations and so just my brain is mush right now well, the idea is that Dembele on the right side is magic, you know, because he, again, like we just always been talking about, it's the spacing. It keeps that uh, left back at, at home that he has to, he has to, you know, respect Dembele. And all of a sudden that alleviates the pressure for our defense. Cause then all of a sudden we can read what they're doing because now they're more cautious of Dembele because now Messi has more space. Suarez has more space. And that just, it, we saw in the Sevilla match, we saw it in the second half in this Madrid match. Right. And also, so something I was thinking about uh, watching Dembele play on the right side versus the left after the last, I don't know, a few games has started to get into my mind is, you know, every player, particularly, you know, players like wingers, playmakers, that sort of thing, uh, they have sort of a preferred direction that they'd like to go with the ball. And Dembele is great because he really is as left footed as he is right footed. He's equally skilled with both. But as far as his movement, he does have a tendency to want to go to the right. So when you put him on the left side, that means he's going to want to cut in more. Whereas if you put him on the right side, he's going to want to go outside more. And that actually stretches things out when he's on the right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. And also, I feel, though, when he's coming on the right side towards goal, he has like he's more direct, right? He knows that he's going to either shoot or pass sooner and that leads to more goals. Whereas on the left side, he's always kind of unsure whether to shoot or to do that move that he does. Now he has been successful in scoring goals on the left side, but I just feel on the right side when he's bearing down, just like in that second goal with this, with the Veron own goal, like he was super decisive, right? He came down, he says, I'm passing, making a good pass, made a great pass where Navas couldn't make the save. And you either knew it was going to be Suarez or Veron, but you knew it was going to be a goal pretty much because of just the great pass that he did. And also more importantly, he was just more decisive early when he was coming down that right side. Yeah, and don't forget the quality of the ball that fed him yeah. on that. Yeah. That was yeah primo. Yes, it was. And that's the other thing too, is that, you know, from this whole season of Semedo and Dembele working together throughout the season, it finally paid off because, as we've mentioned before, they were working through those kinks in the beginning where there was a lot of offsides they didn't know, but that pass was perfectly uh, placed by Semedo into that gap. And then, obviously, 
you know, Dembele with his speed. I mean, when you see him bearing down like that, you just know good things are going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and so because of that Varane own goal that denied Suarez the hat trick, which he just about nearly earned. So I've started calling it a half trick. <clears throat> well, you know, what's funny when you did post half trick, I think. I for for some reason I was like uh, I think Brian has this messed up I think he means hat trick <laughs> and, then I, and then I realized oh yeah he didn't have a hat trick so then I got it I, I thought it was brilliant right yeah it was it was so close and a really so a really nice uh, result for Suarez's confidence as well yeah what about that penalty kick love it yes the paneca <laughs> that's what oh it's called God. right a paneca yeah. paneca it's from this Czech player. I think he was like the first guy to do it in a World Cup or something like that, if I remember correctly. But again, uh, just pure, pure, just wow. I mean, I could never do that in that kind of a moment. And that's just what makes those superstar players that. I mean, it was great. I mean, Navas looked like a fool. And of course, we win. I mean, that was game set Guillermo for sure. Oh, yeah, easily. So, I mean, for me, maybe the biggest news out of the whole story is that in Copa del Rey, we already know where and mostly when the final will be played. So we now know that we'll be playing against Valencia in the final, and it's going to be on May 25th at the Benito Villamarin in Sevilla. That's the home ground of Real Betis. And we talked about this when they made this announcement, but this is a, this is a, a revolutionary move in Copa del Rey where they've already decided the venue and the date for the final. I mean, it's a it's a new horizon with Luis, <laughs> you know, with Luis Rubiales, right? Right. I mean, we just you just talked about in the news segment about how there's no more La Liga matches on Monday, so he's there. I mean, I don't know if you have been aware, but basically, it's been Espanol, I think Leganes, Hitafe. They've always been playing on Monday nights, and no one watches Monday night matches. They're just kind of shoot away, kind of a thing. So that's a good move. I don't think they should have Monday night games. And the other thing, too, with this, as we've talked about it, make it a Super Bowl. Make these venues ahead of time because Betis was in the semifinal against Valencia. They had a chance to be in the final, and that would have been something special. But unfortunately, Valencia was the stronger team. So, again, we already have the venue, the date. It's just it's this is unheard of in Spanish football, man. Right. But it's it's kind of at this point marketing 101 sports marketing Correct. 101 you know make yeah. more of an event out of it a destination where people can plan for it exactly so if you're you know if you're living in the states you know that weekend you could just go to sevilla most likely get the ticket you know the weekend that barcelona is going to definitely be playing the copa del rey final yeah and i mean ah sevilla in late may that sounds gorgeous it is. It's only going to be like 100 degrees, but it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the pictures on Instagram are going to look great. Yes. Because you can't yes, feel yeah. the heat. You can't. You can't. But, I mean, again, it's a, it's a good move because, you know, like we talked about, just having that rotation, it just, it just gets the, you know, like you said, it's sports marketing 101. Right. So now we know how we can plan for that final match. All right. So to close out this episode... Let's get into La Liga and the second of the two Clásicos, again in the Bernabeu, where a 1-0 win on a goal from Ivan Rakitic, only his fifth goal of the season in all competitions, got us the win. So this puts Barcelona, this is historic, because this puts Barcelona ahead of Real Madrid in the head-to-head after 87 years. So to start off, I think we should give Rakitic his due on this momentous occasion. Rakitic was great in this match. I mean, I don't know if having Artur there just elevates Rakitic to 
let him play naturally. And so his talent can show up because he is a super talented player and everyone always kind of, you know, rags on him about what is he doing out there and so forth. But again, think about all these moments he's had with Barcelona, the, the champions league final goal, right? He's had a couple classical goals now and he comes, he rises to these moments and I'd rather have a player that has been super consistent like this and rises to these big moments. I mean, how great, I mean, we're going to dissect the goal, but I mean, I just think the, the installation of our tour, as you saw, just elevates our midfield and Rakitic is able to defend. Not only did he keep Vinicius at bay, I mean, Vinicius with this, this game was like, welcome to the big leagues game moment last night where he absolutely did nothing. And that was a big part done to because Sergio Roberto and Rakitic double teaming him. But again, I, for me, Rakitic or PK was the man of the match for sure. Oh yeah, easily. And as far as Rakitic goes, you know, the way that it uh, Barcelona are set up, he doesn't get many chances on goal. If you watch him play for Croatia, however, the way they're set up, he does tend to take those shots from distance, uh, sort of like I remember Chabi Alonso would occasionally take those those nice screaming shots from distance. That's something that Rakitic will do at Croatia, but just because of the way his, uh, his role works at Barcelona and the way they're set up, uh, he doesn't get a chance to do that, but he clearly has the skill. So mainly when it comes to Rakitic, every time he's on the field, and I understand why Valverde wants is playing him into the ground because he he provides so much in the midfield in terms of moving the ball in rotation. Plus, he works really hard. He's always going to ground, making those sliding uh, attempts for the, the ball for tackles and that sort of thing. He, his work rate is super high. He has so much hustle and so much skill. Uh, not so much at dribbling per se, but his turn is great, right? His positioning of his body is good, and his passing is fantastic. So the way he links up with the rest of the midfield, with the back line, with the front line, he's he's great as in, in any way. But on this particular moment, I really thought he was looking to pass. I thought he was making a pass, but it turned out to be this really really clever scooped shot because he saw that Courtois was already going down to ground again you highlighted some good points and I just think you know when Valverde asks him to be more defensive I think that's not in his DNA I think that's when you see those performance those stale performances like how is Rakitic starting right but when he's put in a position especially for example last night out wide on the right that is his preferred position and he's asked to do a role to shut down Vinicius and to kind of link up that passing to Messi and so forth he did it brilliantly I mean just think like you said another good point he brought up is going to ground compare him to Casemiro going to ground when Rakitic went to ground usually he's going to ground in a strategic way to win advantage for the ball to keep possession for us not just to stop the play like Casemiro does for foul purposes right right and I think that's really important again Rakitic I you know I I personally think he's always been kind of the whipping boy in Kool-Aid Twitter essentially <laughs> and um you know he comes up for these big moments I mean just think about all the important goals he's done for us and he's been a he never complains and all he does is play every minute I mean that is really <laughs> yeah that's all he does to do. <laughs> I mean what else do you want from him you know I mean he's played every minute since he came as a starter right and despite various rumors that uh, maybe the club won't sweeten his contract anymore even though he would like them to he gives he gives everything for the club 
Yeah, and you have here an interesting quote from my favorite manager, Mourinho. Of what, all what, what did Mourinho say? <laughs> well, yeah. Mourinho is uh, working as a pundit now, and he was just lavishing praise on Rakitic in his commentary after this match. And he said that uh, Rakitic only needs to improve his Instagram and Twitter to be at the level of the greats, just suggesting that he has everything on the pitch to make him one of the greats. The only reason maybe that people don't give him enough credit is because of his uh, lack of social media skills. Yeah, I would agree. And, and you know, again, I, I don't really like Mourinho that much, but again, I'll agree with his quote here, you know? So, yes, I mean, Rakitic is, I, for me, just been underrated. I mean, we've talked about, since we started the podcast together, our feelings about Rakitic, how we want him to rest, you know, because he plays so much. And we understand the value he brings to the team. But a lot of people, especially in uh, Kool-Aid Twitter, especially, they just kind of want someone more dynamic and i get that but also you need these hard-working midfielders that don't complain and just do the job right yeah a workhorse Mm -hmm. it's not bad to have one of those in the midfield yeah now how about so this sort of goes back to what we were saying earlier about sergi roberto versus samedo but we don't necessarily have to set it up as a an either or or a debate but Valverde did decide to go with Sergio Roberto at right back instead of Semedo for Saturday's match. And I think it was him along with Rakitic. Yeah. But it was clear that Vinicius was much more shut down than he was on Wednesday, where he was getting into the box. He was using PK here and there. I mean, PK had a great game on Wednesday, but, you know, Vinicius was tearing him apart because that's just not a fair fight <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. But in this match, Vinicius was much quieter do you think that has a lot to do with Sergio Roberto playing there I think it's a mixture of things unfortunately it's not just one thing I think the first thing is Sergio Roberto's defense I think he watched the videos from the hub right (laughs) and was able you know he was able to scout because I don't know if you noticed his positioning was much better than Semedo's was. He was able to always push him out wide and limit the cutbacks. And that's a really big thing. The other thing too, Sergio Roberto was playing up tighter on Vinicius to not let him run onto space as much because he knew he had Rakitic up front. So those are those two things. But I also think, honestly, Brian, the combination of Artur. Because think about the, the difference of Wednesday night to last night. We played definitely much better, but also our possession was much stronger going from left to right. Now, when Artur had the ball, a lot of times he would just switch the point of attack to the left side. And when that happens, Vinicius had to play defense. And like I talked to you about, Brazilians are not the best defenders of when they're attackers, right? So right. making him work on defense tired him out a bit too because he had to work double duty so again i think it's a combination of things but i mean sergio roberto for me had an outstanding performance defensively he didn't make any mistakes he was never caught you know one v one in a you know position like pk was before and i think it just really comes down to scouting obviously seeing vinicius you know three times in one month is going to help too but also you know the, the kid is young and Everyone was able to, you know, put a group defensive effort and Longled and PK as well. They shut every cross down as well. Yeah, shut down a lot of crosses. I mean, Madrid didn't look nearly as threatening on Saturday as they did on Wednesday. And I think that's it's not just because of Sergi, right? It's the the whole defensive performance yeah. from the team. They They figured out Madrid's moves because they don't have a whole lot of them right now. And they... You know, they had some chances. They took some shots, but none of them were especially threatening, not like they were on Wednesday. 
Tristegan didn't have to work that hard because the shots that they were allowed weren't uh, quality. There was even one where Vinicius cut in, came all the way right into the center of the box. He's dead on center with the goal, and they sort of just let him shoot because they know he's not that great a finisher. And sure enough, it would just sail over the goal. Yeah, yeah. It was great. And also, you know, if we compare the performances from Wednesday to last night, you know, we didn't play very well, and fortunately we had the clinical finishing. So you knew that last night was going to be a better performance just because, you know, we ne- we don't usually play back-to-back bad games, and especially in a Classico. And last night I felt as though, you know, with our tour in the middle, we were so much more comfortable having the ball that Madrid didn't have the possession. They had to chase us. And also we just looked way more comfortable just moving the ball side to side. You know, we had the attacks when we needed to. But again, it's kind of one of those things when Rakitic scored that goal, we just kind of, hey, if another goal comes, great. If not, we're just going to possess the ball and just kind of play keep away as much as possible from Madrid. And that's essentially what they did for the rest of the game because we really didn't have that many scoring opportunities in the second half, for example. But we were definitely in charge of the game for the most part. Right. Yeah. I think that was the main thing is that we just looked much more in control and in charge of the game from beginning to end. Yeah. And it was nice to see it. You know, maybe, you know, again, maybe our tour is really that important to our midfield. He could be. <laughs> I mean, I was, cause I was watching him specifically last night. Cause I, you know, I was like, okay, let's see what he really does. And man, it's those little things. It's, just by moving the ball all the way to the left side to Rakitic is a huge thing because then all of a sudden you have the threat, the possible threat of going up that right side. And that gave, it gave bigger spaces for the midfield and Messi was able to operate a little bit better. And so Madrid had to defend that. Whereas on Wednesday night, we were just going middle left the whole time until we made the halftime adjustment of Dembele on the right side. Right. So speaking of Dembele, he was quite a force on the wings in this uh, in the Saturday match. I mean, he's so exciting to watch. Every time he does those moves or the long ball comes to him, you just think that there's a play. There was one moment where Messi had this brilliant pass. I don't know if you saw. It was just like perfectly weighted, perfectly sped, like, and it went right over the head of Carvajal, right to Dembele. And again, I mean, Dembele is so quick, man. You just can you you think that you have him like Carvajal a bunch of times had him lined up where he said okay i see him he's not going to beat me and he just kind of makes a little move and debele's gone yeah (laughs) you know debele's gone and it's just crazy how talented he is and i I was telling my friends last night he's like 20 years old it's crazy it is insane like what he's already been able to do just in the season how he's kind of you know evolved from the Fortnite master back in September to <laughs> Real Madrid killer in, in, in March, you know? Yeah. And if you want to compare star youngsters, I think, I mean, Dembele has a couple of years on Vinicius, so maybe this isn't fair, but our star youngster can at least finish and score goals. He's our third highest scorer with eight goals, whereas yeah. Vinicius can't finish as much, but that's, that's more of an aside. One thing that I also noticed in this match though, is that because Dembele is so fast, and they put those long balls through, if he's the only one in a forward position and he's speeding down that line, the play does get broken down a little bit because he's got the ball now, he's ready to make a cross, but the rest of the team haven't caught up with him yet. He's so fast, he outruns his own team sometimes. I mean, that happened three or four times yeah. last night, you know? like He was like waiting, waiting, waiting. Again, if Malcolm is up there in the center, maybe that helps with that that speed up there because obviously Suarez's speed is just not what it used to be. Again, um, I, I personally think that Dembele should take those opportunities to go right at goal. 
you know, take those chances sometimes because again, would I rather have him wait and lose the ball or just take a shot on goal? I'd rather have him take a shot on goal, be selfish occasionally in those moments because then I'll give the defense another thing to worry about because usually you know that he's going to wait for the rest of the crew, you know? Right. And that's obviously makes sense, but also, you know, especially on that one cross where he did, he could have come in and just tried to be more dangerous and more direct. Again, I think, when he's on the right side, he's more decisive. On the left side, he's kind of more indecisive and he wants to involve more of the team. Right. Yeah, but just imagine, for example, because he has such a great touch and a good directional touch. If instead of when he gets that long ball, instead of just taking it straight down the line and then looking for the cross, on his first touch, he cuts it inside and just starts running straight at goal. He'll have a shot because of his speed. Yeah, it'll come. It'll probably be the next step. You know, I mean, he's still a youngster. Right. Uh, so, you know, again, Dembele, these past couple of matches and, you know, it's just everyone getting healthy again. You can just see the chemistry we have with each other. And again, I think going forward, Brian, that we're going to continue this Dembele on the left. And then if we need to change something, we always have Dembele on the right as our trump card. Because as we've seen, Valverde doesn't want to shake the boat so much. And he'd rather have Messi being the kind of central attacking midfielder and Suarez and Jordi Alba going up on the left. And then if we need to change it, then we can just switch to Dembele to the right. And that just gives us a whole another dynamic. Right. Now, I, uh, I think we should also mention both of our central defenders yes, in this yes. match. Because not only do we get two shutouts in the Bernabeu in a row, but particularly talking about the Saturday match, PK was playing out of his mind easily best player of the month i think yes but in this game yes. longley took two shots to the ribs man that guy was hurting <laughs> i could have sworn he was going to leave this match with a with a cracked rib and how many yeah, last I, ditch clearances did longley make yeah i mean again for me pk has been the best player of the whole month from start to finish and it's crazy because with his age i thought for sure he wasn't able go, he wasn't going to be able to hold up you know as consistent as he has been and it was funny there they caught moments in the match last night where you know as we talked about that madrid was always crossing the ball and he just kept yelling at madrid keep crossing him keep crossing him <laughs> I, I i have it covered no worries uh, but like you said i definitely thought long leg could have cracked some ribs because he got hit in the same spot two times you know and those balls hurt, man, when they're getting kicked that hard. But again, and I, I think for me, the other moment too is long late elbowing Ramos. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a proponent of violence, but sometimes Ramos was getting out of hand. Of course, again, he's going to miss another match in La Liga. This guy is the most overrated defender, as I always say, Brian. Last night, he just is he is loses his cool, and it's crazy what he does with the against Messi. I don't know if you remember that. Play oh yes, where he I certainly do. Mouth right, and Longley just kind of gave him a little sweet chin music in one of those corners. So again, a little for taste me, of his own de- med. Exactly, the defensive pairing of these two guys has been solid. Again, the battery for ourselves, and it's it's crazy to think that in the beginning of the season, Brian, that Longley has played so many games because obviously in the beginning we thought him TT was going to be, uh, you know, he's obviously been the starter for us, and I thought he was going to play more time. But to think that in the beginning of the season that Longley has been such uh, an important signing for us and how good he's played in these big moments. Again, last night he was all over the place. And you can just tell how fresh and how young he is. He's able to maintain the the high-level performance. And also just, you know, the partnership he has with PK is great. Right. Now, finally, as I mentioned uh, when we first started talking about this match, is that this was, in fact, historic for FC Barcelona because for the first time in 87 years, Barcelona has a better they're uh, they're on top of Real Madrid in the head to head they have more wins 
for the first time in 87 years. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. I think, you know, when I was watching the sports show last night, because it's kind of like the immediate reaction to the Classico, I think Madrilistas are really upset about these two things, that we've finally taken over, but also that their Champions League victories have kind of been empty because we have kind of sustained such a great performance, especially in the Bernabeu, and also head-to-head lately. So they can say that they're the, you know, the European champions, but they cannot beat us consistently, right? They've only beaten us, I think, four times in the last 12 matches or something like this, if that. And again, we have been um, head-to-head far superior, especially in these two matches where they couldn't even score one goal. And that's never happened before. So again, I just think, you know, and, and last night in the sports show, they were talking about Copa del Rey, La Liga, and basketball. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like Barcelona dominance, you know? So, again, I think it's really great. And obviously, Brian, it's the race to 100. Right, right. Right? That's that's the big that's the big number. And I think, I mean, I think we're going to get to it because especially, I mean, who is Madrid really going to bring in the next two years that's really going to solidify their attacking? I mean, if you talk about Hazard or whatever – but again, like we are so consistent with Messi and what we are in our DNA of what we want to do that I think we'll reach 100 faster than Madrid. Yeah, because I think right now we're just we're running as a club better. I think we're doing better business. Of course, you know, we're already excited to see De Jong come next year. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there's still some question as to who will actually succeed Luis Suarez that's kind of an open question and that could cause a similar problem for us as losing Ronaldo has been for Real Madrid. But I just think right now we're doing better business with a better transfer policy. Yeah, I agree. And also we've been signing younger players that have been coming through the ranks as well. You know, so if we talk about Longley, for example, we bought him on the cheap and he's been a really, uh, you know, star player for us this season. So those type of moves, that's what the biggest talk last night was, Brian, who's going to be the first to 100. And I would have to say, Barcelona especially the way we've been playing and dominating Madrid especially at the Bernabeu yeah it reminds me actually of something that Victor Valdez said uh, years back in the sort of press lead up to uh, some other Classico it might have been that one time when they played something like you know four Classicos in a month that year Uh, and they uh, the reporter said to Valdez you know overall Real Madrid has won more matches than Barcelona and he said was that in black and white or in color? Or I think it was trophies, right? They, like they've won more trophies than Barcelona, but that was his response. Like in black and white or in color? Because if you just yeah. look at in color, Barca's actually been trending up for a longer period of time than than Madrid. Yeah, because I mean they're they're holding on to that that first you know thirty years basically forty years of history where they completely dominate everything of football in Spain. Again, I'm I'm excited. I mean, this was such a great week, Brian. We. Able to, I mean, we talked best case scenario for me was victory on Wednesday, a tie or a loss on Saturday. I would have been happy with that. But to get two victories, two shutouts, and basically to, to, to essentially to, you know, leave Madrid out of Copa del Rey and La Liga, and now they only have Champions League. And on top of that, Brian, Ramos is out on Tuesday. They're playing Ajax. Ajax is not scared of them. And if they get bounced on tuesday this could be the worst week in their history yeah and i love it (laughs) (laughs) well i have something else for you to be excited about okay the supercopa of catalonia final is on wednesday barcelona are playing girona so i know you're super excited about that i didn't even know that was happening do we (laughs) because i just i just saw on twitter that valverde gave the guys two days off yeah so 
you know, I, does he roll out the B team for this? He absolutely does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt. I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, gosh, B man, team players out- are going to are going to see minutes. Malcolm's going to see yeah. minutes. Murillo's going to see minutes. We might actually see Todibo play. Oh, there you go. Super Cup de go. Catalunya. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Wednesday night. That's Wednesday night. Yeah. And then who do we have for La Liga coming up? Rayo Vallecano. Ooh, that should be – it's nice. I mean, this week is going to be complicated with Champions League. We're going to see some teams get eliminated this week. So that will be fun to see. But, again, getting back to this kind of break that Barcelona needs after this t- – I mean, this tough month that we just survived. Yeah, it has been a very tough month. And I think that the, the B-team players, the secondary first-team players, uh, really should need to play on Wednesday and make sure to give all your top first-team players a full week's rest after the month they just had. And then also going up against Rio next week, it won't be easy, but uh, I, you know, it should be manageable. We should be able to get three points out of that, uh, especially if we rest all those first-team players, let them freshen up. All right, let's end this. Thanks to Michelle Taylor this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. Help send a deserving young player to Barcelona soccer camp this summer in Houston and support the show through Patreon at barsatalk.net. Until next time, Visca Barca. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.